Well, good morning. You know, around various times and around various events, we've all heard the the concept that the end of the, the end is near. The end of the world is near. The last one was the, the the calendar thing in December of 2012. And well, guess what? It wasn't the end of the world. Now, for most of us, for most Baptists, the end is near probably doesn't have to do with time as much as the sermon. Um, it's a prayer that people pray, Oh Lord, is the end near? I know, now there, there's a couple things about long sermons and about, about shorter sermons, but people have preached long sermons. You know, I, I'm one of those guys that preach about 40 minutes, you know, sometimes a little bit longer than that. But it's kind of like when we go to Africa. You know, Judy, when we go on the airplane to Africa, we know that unless a divine miracle happens... We're going to be on that airplane for eight hours to start with, and then another five or six beyond that. So we get on the airplane, we just kind of uh, expect that, and so that, that's, we just deal with it, you know. And that's kind of how it's long sermons, and you, you learn to deal with it, except for if you're in the nursery. Now, the most, Im- the most important words of every sermon I preach at Doorsville is the words, these, these words. Now let us pray. That signifies they're back there. They have scouts watching the television. Their ear, their ear is up near the speaker waiting for those words. And then they break into the hallelujah chorus. They start going to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's done, it's done, we're about out of here, amen, let's go. That's how it is. But then there's another kind of preacher. And this is what we call the, the circling the field. And, and it's not a prayer during this sermon, it's a hope. You know, it's kind of like getting on the airplane from, from Marion to St. Louis. You know it's going to be a pretty close flight, you know, pretty short flight. But you also know that there's things that can happen. And so you may get there and just seems like the pilot can't get the plane on the ground. It's kind of like this graphic I've got here. This is the signifying of the guy who preaches a short message, and the end is near, we sort of think. It's, it's words like, um, lastly, um, in conclusion, uh, finally. Now, now I have to admit, I, I've gone to preacher's conferences, okay, I need to tell you, that, that I've got there, and, and I'm sitting there going, land the plane. Land the plane. Because, man, you're getting there. He goes, and in conclusion, boy, you can see the landing gear come down. He tilts the nose up. And right when the wheels are going to touch the ground, he goes, one more thought. And up he goes again. I said, dude, land the plane. And you're just hoping that the end is near. So there's the long, it is, you know, the end is near, prayer. And then there's the hope, the end is near. But then there's the fact that this world is winding down. And one day, the end will come. And the question is, are we ready? And what do we do in those mean times? Take your Bibles, please. And we're going to start out in the book of James, chapter 5, and verse 7 and 8. And we're going to see what James said about the end being near. The end being near. James chapter 5, verse 7 and verse 8, with a couple of supplemental scriptures that we have today. Now, James starts out in, in verse 5 by saying this. Be patient. Now, if you're a note taker, and by the way, there's a sermon sheet um, in your bulletin with the scriptures on it. Of course, we also have them on the screens. And of course, uh, hopefully you'll bring your Bible and you also look in your own Bible. But when James says be patient, 
Those words mean steadfast. But not just steadfast. It means steadfast in the face of opposition. If you remember what we talked about last week, verses 5 and 6, we talked about the fact that there were certain rich people, and there were unbelievers. They were not believers. But there were certain rich people who just made life miserable for other people. They're the kind of guy that says, hey, come work for me, and I'll pay you $10 at the end of the day. And when you go to get the money for your day's labor, they go, you know what, I left my wallet at home. And, and they treated the, the believers, they treated the Christians horribly. And so James says, you know, be steadfast in the face of opposition. Be, be steadfast. Be patient. Therefore, and, and for what? Until the coming of the Lord. You know, the incredible promise is, is that Jesus Christ made a promise. And he said, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And don't know when. But the Bible said it, and I believe it, and Jesus said it, and I believe Him. You know, when a guy gets up from the dead on the third day, resurrects on his own power, you kind of have a tendency to believe what he said. Amen? So he said, I'm coming back. And one day, he will. But think about those words, unto the coming of the Lord. Now, I, I told Jennifer, my daughter, I reminded her of something. She said, I understand what you're saying, Daddy. When, when she was young, about 16 years old, I preached one day on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, she said, you know, Dad, she said, I'm not sure I want that to happen. I said, well, how come? She said, well, I kind of had a dream, you know. I, I wanted to, like, grow up. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to have a family. And I said, you know what? I understand that. And, and perhaps some of you here today say, you know what? I really, yeah, okay, I believe Jesus is coming, but, but not maybe right away because there are dreams here that have not yet seen fulfilled. But there are those of us, if you're old enough to have a broken body, if you're old enough to, to see some of the changes in the world, perhaps it's easier for you to say and wait for the coming of the Lord. You're waiting for Jesus to come because the coming of Christ signifies something a lot better. Now, there's a, I know you cannot believe this, but there was a time in my life when I did not know pecan pie. I know. I know you think that I was raised from the mother's womb eating pecan pie, but this is not true. For, for years, and I'm not sure exactly how many years, Tracy, but it was quite a few years, I did not know pecan pie. I thought, you know, apple pie was good, cherry pie could be good, lemon meringue could be good, those things. But then, one day, I think it was not at home because mom never made a pecan pie that I remember. One day... Someone had this brown pie with nuts on top of it. And I took a bite. And all of a sudden, I discovered that there was something better. And my brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. Just like pecan pie, in my opinion, is better than most every pie there is, I'm telling you, there's something coming that is better. There's something coming... There's something coming that goes beyond this world. There's a place of no sickness. There's a place of no sorrow. There's a place where night never comes. Where family circles that have been broken by death are put back together again. There's coming something better. If you're young today and you say, I'm enjoying life. And by the way, I enjoy life also. But I've lived long enough. I've tasted enough pecan pie to know that there's something better coming. And you know, we just got pause and say, I, we're, laying, we're laying in bed last night. And Jesus kind of got in the habit. I, we pray before we um, go to sleep together. 
And so we're sitting there. And she, I said, you pray tonight. You pray over us tonight. So she did that. And she said, Lord, please bless brother, you know, Dwight, Brother Dwayne. Yes, Lord, bless the pastor tomorrow as he preaches. <laughs> you know? no, no, she said, bless Brother Dwayne as he teaches tomorrow. And that just sparked something in my brain. I started thinking about the message. And I got thinking about where James said, the coming of the Lord. Now, pause. If you've heard me say this, it's old news. But you do understand that James was Jesus Christ's little brother. He was the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus had a different father, but the same mother. And so it's incredible. He could have said this. Now watch. This, this just proves to me that, that Jesus Christ is who he was. He could have easily said, you know, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of my big brother. Because I'm telling you something. When you grow up with a guy and you see him through his young years and through his teenage years and through his 20s working in his dad's carpenter shop. And then one day and you hear him say, I am God. And you're going, What? And then one day he resurrects from the dead and you realize that your brother was God in the flesh. That's monumental. And James believed that Jesus Christ was God. And he said, he said, my big brother, the Lord is coming back. And when he does, it's going to be something far, far better. So be encouraged. Have hope. Have hope. And then James goes on and says this. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late or latter rains. Now, there was a time in my life when I could not adequately preach this scripture. But recently, I have become a farmer. Two weeks ago, Danny Evans called me. He said, I want you to come out if you want to. And I want you to, we're harvesting wheat. And you can ride the combine. I told the church last night about this. It's, it's, a, it's a life change. You can ride in the combine with Chris. And I said, okay. So he tells me where they are. And so I get on the combine. And I ride with Chris. And we harvest wheat. I watched it get sucked up and thrown in back there. I'm telling you, I, it's like a transformation. That wasn't all. Then we went and had farmer's lunch at the little place there in Raleigh. We had farmer's lunch. And we talked around, you know, talked about equipment and all that stuff. You know, I'm going, yeah. You know, I know of all my life. And then, and then I go back and Danny gets with me and we get a different tractor. See, I'm not talking about one experience. I'm talking about double experience. And so we had this here thing that, that's called a baler. And it makes bales. Profound, isn't it? I thought it was. And so there's room there. So I'm sitting, you know, he's sitting in the seat and I'm going around and that thing's just spitting bales out back there. And then he doesn't even stop the tractor. He just sort of scoots over and says, get in the seat. I, Dwayne Taylor, drove a tractor. I made hay. I made hay. Now I'm telling you, I can preach this with vast experience now. So he says this. As, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. In other words, the farmer plants that and then he waits for the harvest. But knowing that, he says this. Being patient about it. I mean, you can't rush Mother Nature until it receives the early and the latter rains. That farmer goes out there and he plants that stuff. And then he prays for an early rain. Now, I did confirm this with the farmer's wife, Nancy. And here's what that means is. When they get that seed in the ground, it needs moisture and warmth to germinate. See, I told you I knew all about this. 
Shoot, when I get done preaching, I get old. I'm not going to nursing home. I'm going to give me a tractor. I'm telling you what, I'm ready. So, so anyway, so so it needs moisture and it needs warmth. And that seed begins to germinate and it comes up. And then, not too much further down the road, a little bit further down the road, you need a series of good rains. Because what that does, it not only first germinates, but then it grows. It establishes itself. It gets the roots down. And when that corn, for instance, gets those roots down, then when the dry season comes, it's able to sustain itself because it has deep roots. So, so James is saying, just like the farmer needs the early rain to germinate, he also needs the latter rains to establish himself, establish the plant. So, so James is saying the same way we need to have early rains and late rains. Now, he could be talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, Jesus is not just a new... Do you understand that Jesus is all through the Bible? Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, Tom? Do you remember that? I mean, he said, hey, there's coming a Savior of the world. And looking at Satan, God said, you may bruise his heel, but he's going to wound you in the head. And, and then later on, of course, Abraham came along. Through, all, through you, all nations were blessed. And, and Abraham was saved by faith. And then, and then, lo and behold, Noah came. And we saw a picture of, of Jesus Christ in the ark. And then going later on, we see, of course, David coming with the promise that there would be a king come who would sit on his throne forever. And then Isaiah wrote and said, the virgin shall conceive. And Isaiah wrote and said, he shall be called wonderful and counselor of the mighty God. And Micah wrote and said that he will be born in Bethlehem. And on and on it went. Those were the early rains. It was just establishing, germinating what God was about to do. And on that first Christmas morning... We had the start of the latter rains. And lo and behold, Jesus Christ is born. Jesus Christ lives a sinless life. Jesus Christ does many miracles. Jesus Christ was, was tried. Jesus Christ was nailed to an old rugged Roman cross just about like this. And Jesus Christ was laid in a tomb. And for three days, He laid there. And on the third day, He got up. Amen. He got up. And then, and it doesn't stop there. Forty days later, He ascended back to the Father and the church was born. And for the last 2,000 years, the latter rains have been coming. And one day the rain's going to be over and Jesus is coming back. Now, if you want to, you could take the early rains of talking about the birth of the church. Those days when Jesus Christ walked the earth and the early rains could be talking about the establishment of the church. And the latter rains are today. Now, listen, I'm smart enough. Not to make any predictions. But you don't have to be too much of a rocket scientist to figure out the old world's kind of going crazy. The world is, is, scientists will tell you, the world is not built to establish itself forever and ever. Some proponents claim, you know, global warming. But we know there's an end. We just believe that that end is controlled by God and not by some rock hitting in the earth and it explodes. So James says, be patient, even in the face of opposition, because there's, listen, 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 Christ followers, be patient, brothers. He didn't write this to the world. He wrote to his church. He said, be patient, brothers, because there's something better coming. And, and to help you along, just remember this. As the farmer waits, can't rush the harvest. As the farmer waits, 
So we will wait. And we've had early rains. We're having latter rains. And one day, Jesus is coming back. Well, you say, when's that going to be? I told you we don't know. But on your sermon sheet there, you'll see 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-9 through 9 from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's a wonderful scripture. Many of you will know this scripture. Peter writes and says, Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. In other words, this is big what I'm fixing to say. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. He says, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Now, let me tell you something. We think 2,100 years is a long time. But if a day is like a thousand years, that means it's only been about two, three days since Jesus Christ died. You remember something about... Let me try to illustrate this for you. You remember Jesus died what day? Friday, right? He was in the grave part of Friday. He was in the grave... All day Saturday, and he's in the grave part of Sunday, and early Sunday morning, he resurrected. Is that right? Am I telling the story the truthfully? All right, now, now, in God's timetable, part of a day counts for a day. So day one was part of Friday, day two was all day Saturday, and day three was part of Sunday. Now, if a day is like a thousand years, and it's been 2,100 years, I can tell you this. We're getting close to day three. And he who said, I will come, will come. I don't know if it's going to be a hundred more years. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow. There's nothing on God's prophetic calendar that has to happen before Jesus Christ comes back. But one day, he's coming back. So, So Peter says, just know this. Just know this. That one day is like a thousand years. And we're definitely in part three of day three. Just take that home and chew on it. But you know what he says here? He says, in a thousand years, like a day. We were driving somewhere, and I have no idea where, but somewhere on a long trip. And we heard Johnny Erickson Tata, who, of course, as a teenager, broke her neck, has been in a wheelchair all her life, became a believer in Jesus Christ, and has a wonderfully fantastic ministry. And in that, she was talking about a woman who, who was going to die, and she, she had the opportunity to say no to a feeding tube, And speed up the process of death. And she said, I encouraged the woman. It's a decision she had to pray about and see what God would have her to do. But then she said these words. She said, I also encouraged her to know a thousand years is like a day. In other words, each day we live, we have the opportunity to make a thousand years a difference. She may live three more days. But in God's eyes, that could be the difference of three thousand years. Years. Does it make sense? Let me tell you something. Some of you have got so much garbage in your past. And you're thinking, I've messed up so much. God could never use me. Oh, friend, redeem the time now. It is not too late. Take the days that you have left because every day is like a thousand years. You'll be amazed what you can do with the days that you've got left regardless of what's in your past. Seek God now and choose to serve Him and watch God multiply the days that you've got. So, so what is He waiting on? This is what He says in verse 9. The Lord does not delay His promise as some understand delay. 
In other words, he's saying, now I know, for, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's why when it's about minute 39 on a long sermon and you're back in the nursery, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You're longing for the words, let us pray, and you're waiting for them. You wait and you wait and you wait. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. But don't count delay as some count delay. So when I was a kid, man, we'd wait for Christmas. And it seemed like forever before it got here. But you know what, Mike? Now it comes crazy fast. So, so Jesus is coming back. And don't think because he's delaying, he's messed up. Because the Bible says, But is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You know why Jesus ain't come back yet? He might be waiting on you to get saved. You know why Jesus hasn't come back yet? He may be waiting someone else to be saved. Jesus Christ loves the world so much. The Father loves the world so much. He's given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for people like you who do not know Jesus Christ to be saved. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. God so loved the world that, that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's saying, I want people to come into the kingdom. I'm not going to close the door on the ark until all those who want to get in, get in. That's what He's waiting on. So James continued then in, in verse number 8 and says this. You also, just like the farmer who waits for the later and early rains, early rains and later rains, just like that, you also... Establish your hearts for the coming. He says it again. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. Now, here's so I can identify with farmers. Okay, because well, one I am one now. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about going and get me some overalls. I'm, I'm weighing it carefully. But here's the deal. I'm certain, you know. There's, there's a rumor out there that says preachers only work one day a week. And when they work that one day a week, they work too long. And I'm certain that some of y'all think that these things we call sermons, that we go on the Internet and get these things, or they come in the mail. And that's not true. That's not true. Believe it or not, Brent and I and Dave actually do stuff during the week. I mean, we really do. Well, see, some of y'all think farmers, y'all got this down. So you got a farmer guy here, see, and he's got two chairs. And a farmer gets in his tractor. He drives his tractor. Okay, he mashes levers, walks back there once in a while, the little seed's going bloop, 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 bloop. And the thing, it's really cool, because I haven't seen this part yet. I'm not quite that far in the farming business yet. But, but the planter thing actually pokes a hole in the dirt and then puts the seed in it. And then it covers it up. Okay? So we got the farmer and he's just watching this thing do this and listening to the radio. Got the air conditioning on. Boogieing down, you know, some good music and stuff. All right. Then, then some people think that then the farmer goes to his house and turns on TV. And then he picks up his newspaper and watches TV and reads the newspaper. And he just sits there. All the rest of the spring and all the rest of the summer and all the rest of the fall. He just sits there and then finally looks out the window and says, Hey, honey, I think the corn's ready. 
So then after sitting there for four or five months, he gets back into his little tractor thing with the air conditioning on the radio playing. He's got a different thing on the back when we're driving that thing called the combine. That's when I have experienced him. And so he drives that then, see, and then he gets all the, all the harvest in. Then he takes the harvest and gets rich. Now, see, that's what y'all think farmers do. We farmers know different. We farmers know that after the crops are in, it's not sitting time. It's getting ready time. I thought somebody might get that. Let me try again. See, the farmer knows that once the planting time is over, it's getting ready time. See, the farmer then goes into his barn and starts working on the combine. He, he, starts, he starts checking over the belts and the fittings that need to be greased, checking the head out, all right, checking the hopper out, make sure it's ready to receive the fruit, checking the tires out, all these things. He spends all that time, once he plants, he spends all that time getting ready for the harvest. That's what James is saying when he says, you also be patient, establish your hearts. He, he's not talking about church members who get in here and say, Come on, Jesus! I'm waiting on you! Come on! Listen, I can't find a scripture where Jesus saves us and tells us, Sit and stay. He tells us, in fact, one parable that Jesus said, He said, Do business till I come back. Well, He has left the church here to do business till He comes back. This is getting ready time for the harvest. This is the days that we're about the Father's business. Now, amidst all that, now, I'm sure Danny would tell you that, that he doesn't spend all the time in the barn. You know, he has a family, has to care for his family. He's got a grandson. He's got to play for the, with the grandson. Got to do that. Um, now, I'm, I'm certain he'll also tell you that he may even take vacation. I don't know if farmers do that. But he might even take a vacation. But ultimately... From the time the seed is planted, Brent, he's planning on the harvest. And there's herbicide to spray. There's different things to do. Waiting for the harvest. Church, we're waiting for the harvest. And we need to be about the Father's business. That's why he left us here. Now, I'm telling you. You can ask Danny, that's just one of the farmers, or his son Chris. You, you can tell him, the farmer that sits in this chair and then sits in this chair until the harvest comes, when he gets out to get ready, he's going to get in the combine and it's going to go... He's going to get his jumper cables out. And he's going to jump it off, and when it runs, the belt's going to break. And then when he gets to the field, he's not going to find a harvest. He's going to find a bunch of weeds. My point is this. If you want to have a harvest, you've got to plant, but you also got to get ready for the harvest. So when the harvest comes, you've got something to harvest. Am I making any sense? We've got a work to do. You know, August the 11th, our Big Back School event, already plans are well underway for the thousand people that are going to run through this building. Not just give out school supplies or cut hair or give them a pair of shoes. 
They want to see the love of Jesus. That's what it's all about. There's work to do for the local church, and there's work to do for the believers of that local church. So, so what do we do? How, how do we get ready? Okay, look, I'm on your sermon sheet, now you may have to look this up, Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 12. Paul writes now and says this, Besides this, knowing the time is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Now again, I don't know if Jesus is going to wait another thousand years to come back. I don't know. But I'm telling you, we're closer than we've ever been before. I'd ask my dad. We'd get in the back seat. And we went to exotic locations like New Jersey to see my brother. Or, or Amarillo, Texas to see my brother. We went to the most fashionable vacation places there was. Where there was free housing, that's where we went. So we'd get in our 57 Plymouth. And this is about 1970-something to give you an idea. And we're sitting back there. And so I would say these words. Can you guess? Daddy! Are we there yet? My translation was this. How much longer? And my daddy in wisdom would say, Son, not as long as it has been. Now, church, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. But if you ask this pastor, how much longer? I'm going to tell you something. Not as long as it has been. Jesus Christ is coming back. And the signs are saying it well may not be too much longer. It's time to get ready for harvest because the king is coming. The king is coming. So, so Paul says, he continues... The night is nearly over. And the daylight is near. I gotta stop and tell you a funny story. We got lots of time today. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said it. But Jonathan decided he would spend the night in the backyard with the kids, you know, with, with, with Ethan and Hope. It's five o'clock in the morning. And Hope leans over and pokes him in the back. Hope. What do you want? The trees look like monsters. <laughs> Hope they're not monsters. You need to get more shut eye. You need to see more back your eyes. Go back to sleep. And Hope, did she have the book, John? Or did she just start pretending like she was reading the book? She, was, she had Max and Ruby anyway. And for 30 more minutes, Hope read Max and Ruby. Because you see, Hope realized something, what Jonathan at that point had not realized. The night was nearly over, and daylight was at hand. Brothers and sisters, the night is nearly over, and the daylight is at hand. goes on to say this, So let us discard, let us get rid of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, I want you to take your Bible. We're going to read this scripture. I'm not going to talk about it. Get, get your Bible out and turn to Colossians chapter 3. What does that look like? What does it mean to discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light? What does that look like? 
Well, again, Paul, writing to the church of Colossians, gives us an idea. And these are good guidelines for getting ready for the harvest in these latter days. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 5. Paul says this. This is New King James. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And he goes, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So Paul says, we got some things to get rid of. All right? And most of those we go, oh yeah, those, those are big ones. But then, look at verse number 8. And this is where we, we kind of don't get ready for the harvest too good. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Oh, and by the way, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So Paul says, there's the, there's the what we call the whoppers, the fornication and all that stuff. But this, this thing about uncontrollable anger and foul mouth and those kind of things, those things need to go too. If you're going to be ready for the harvest, those things can't be there. But, but then he tells us that armor of light. And look at verse number 14. Oh, let's go, let's go to 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against brother, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Paul says, in these latter days, when we're getting ready for the harvest, because Jesus Christ is coming back, there's some things that really need to be taken off. And the big, the big sins that we all like to talk about, but then sins of the heart. When you got, you're mad at your brother, you're mad at your wife, you're, you're mad at your kids, you're mad at the world. Those things need to go. And replace them with things like kindness and forgiveness and love. Now, there are things, I promise you, that Danny or Chris or some of the other farmers do their equipment, I go, why do you do that for? Why is that important? I may not understand it. I'm sure to some of the believers here today, the Christ followers, you go, but what's the big deal? I'm telling you this. Yeah, I know. It's a bad testimony for the church when we sin sexually and those kind of things. I know, I know. But... When your neighbor hears you hollering at your wife two blocks away, that ain't a good testimony either. Can I have an amen? See, the world notices those small things too. And, and it hurts the harvest. So we got to get rid of some stuff and put some stuff on. Because the harvest is near. But when? Well, like I told you... God is patiently waiting. There's some folks that need to repent and get in the family that's not in yet. I was listening to Jerry Rankin one time. He was the former president of the International Mission Board. And he said, if there's a scripture that Satan has on his wall, it would be this scripture. Because in it, it tells Satan how much longer he has. Here's what that verse says. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel... Time out. Not the Baptist gospel, not the religion gospel, 
Not the church gospel. This gospel, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there's none righteous, no, not one. This gospel, that, that Jesus Christ willingly died on a cross. He wasn't murdered or martyred. He willingly died on a cross. And he took the wrath of God so that any man, woman, and child, regardless of skin color, economic station in life, any man, woman, or child could put their faith in what he did and in him and be forgiven. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. And then the end will come. One day, it could be next week, it could be tomorrow, it could be 10 years, it could be 100 years. But one day, the last person, the last people group will hear of Christ and the end will come. Jesus is coming back. First, are you prepared? What do you mean by that, Dwayne? Was there a time in your life when you put your faith in the Christ of the cross? Not in religion. Not in being baptized. Not in giving money. Not in some giant scale, good or bad. Has there come a time when you put your faith in the Christ of the cross? If not, our first invitation today is for you. I I try not to peddle religion or the church as much as I love Dorsville. I'm proud to be a Baptist, though that's somewhere down my pecking order. But I am so glad to share with you that Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you and ways to forgive your sins. There's nothing you have done. There's nothing you have done that God can't forgive through His Son, Jesus Christ. Friend, will you stand down front? And if that's something new to you and you've never done that before, you've never said, wait a minute, that sounds like what I'm looking for. It is. It is. Just come down and tell my friend Brent. Brent, I want to put my faith and trust in the Christ of the cross. I want to believe in Him. That he died for me and received forgiveness of my sins and having come and changed my life. Are you prepared? Are you ready? There's a difference. There's a difference. Prepared means I put my faith in Christ. Ready means that if he comes today, I can say, come on, Jesus. Not want to run and hide because I've been sitting in the chair all summer long instead of preparing for the harvest. The challenge is to be ready for the harvest. And you can do that right there where you are. You can do it right here at this altar. However God leads you. It's fine. But do business with God today. Do business with God today. As a believer in Him, as a believer in Christ, do business with God today. Let's pray. Father, what a great privilege of mine to share about your coming. And as a Christ follower, not only as a pastor, but as a follower of Christ, I believe you're coming. I do not know the exact day or hour. I confess that before these people, and I confess it before you. In fact, Jesus yourself said that, that no one knows, even you, only the Father knows when that time will come. But Father, one for my friends who are not ready, who have not made preparation, may today be the day they put their faith and trust in Christ. And for those of us who have lived in our lives where we're really not ready, we'd be embarrassed if you came right now. There's some junk that we need to deal with in our lives. Help us to be ready today by dealing with those issues. We love you today, and we're grateful that you are
coming back. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.